Hey, welcome back to another episode of Smoke Signals. Uh, getting back to a little more regular schedule and some more timely content. We've done some evergreen content uh, the last couple podcasts, say for the last one. Uh, I'm Justin Ladd. I'm joined again by Willie Hood. And Willie, we're going to talk about the Prospects Live mock draft from uh, Friday, May 1st. That was a really fun event. If you didn't hear about it, um, Prospects Live, who is one of the who are one of the best prospect sites out there, um, did a three round mock draft, including the two comp rounds. Um, and Willie was our the Indian picking for the Indians in that draft, representing IBI. Um, I sat in on it along with Jared Zyber, who was a contributor for IBI and a local high school coach, um, to go over that. So, um, if you haven't caught up on some of those pieces, they're on the site now. Um, those are for insiders only. So. Be sure to sign up for an insider account to get all of our draft content for nine a month. So let's get into it then, Willie. Let's talk about, first of all, thanks for coming back. And second of all, let's just get right into uh, the recap of the draft and how you think it went. I was very pleased with, with the mock draft. Um, you know, I, I can tell you I put a lot of time in, in prep and, and Jared did too. And I really appreciate uh, Jared's feedback too, because he and I, took time to build our own draft boards. So Jared built his out to a hundred. I, I was around 200 players and I put in my projections and then he and I discussed some players where you feel like this guy's going to go. Um, what kind of value do you see, do you see on him? Uh, and he was very helpful uh, and very knowledgeable about the draft as well. So I appreciate the introduction with Jared and getting to know him. And he and I have been messaging quite a bit since the, our initial intro. Um, so I've definitely enjoyed, uh, getting to meet up with Jared and, and, uh, especially on zoom and, and getting to actually talk to you guys face to face. Uh, if you watched the mock draft as they streamed it on YouTube, you'll notice I had, uh, connection issues every time I came up. So <laughs> let's just say my tablet is getting replaced. Um, but I was able to make the selections on my laptop. So, uh, I was very pleased with the four players that we picked. What we did was we tried to have a Indi- an Indians um, draft philosophy. So some of the things that we wanted to key on for this draft was some of the things that the Indians uh, will utilize in the draft to kind of weed out players. Uh, some of those factors, like age, the Indians prefer young players. Uh, players who have played and performed on the Cape or in what I call famous, the famous circuit. Uh, those are players who have played in international ball. They have played uh, with Team USA. They have played in the perfect game, all-star games. They've played in these various uh, tournament games that are that are like that, um, that get them out there. And when they're playing against the better competition, you kind of get a feel for how are they going to respond as they go through the minor league system. Um, the Indians emphasize guys who are from cold weather. Uh, I mentioned being younger. Uh, they like pitchability types. They like high on base guys, guys that aren't going to strike out a lot, guys that are willing to take walks. Um, all of these things are things that the Indians factor in. And if you look at the last few drafts, they went with some of the highest upside guys who slid. And, and I felt like that's kind of what we did in this draft. As we uh, prepared our, our mock draft board, Um, I'm going to pull that up on my computer here for a second. But we took four players with what we felt was a lot of upside. And, um, you know, the first guy we took was Tyler Soderstrom. He's a catcher from uh, California. He is the son of major leaguer Steve Soderstrom, who played a few years in the bigs. And, you know, you obviously you have bloodlines. Tyler, I'm sorry. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom is a catcher from California. He's six foot two, 200 pounds, uh, left-handed hitter, and he throws right. Now, he's, his average ranking, and I went through and I averaged up the ranking on three different sites, but his average ranking is number 19 overall. So to get a player who's ranked 19 overall at 23, I think we got value there. Um, now, he's somebody I think that the Indians would consider popping. He's gotten comparisons to... Uh, Bo Naylor, 
Now, Soderstrom mm-hmm. is a bat-first type of guy. He's got a, a an above-average to plus-hit tool to me. Uh, I like the power potential from him. I think there's above-average power potential. Defensively, he's a, a below-average receiver. He's not a, a very good receiver yet. But from my understanding, he really enjoys playing catcher and wants to continue on back there. But if he doesn't, you know, he's got a plus arm. He's got a strong arm from behind the plate. Obviously, behind the dish, he's got some struggles. But if you move him out to, say, uh, third base or maybe even right field, he's an average runner. So he can he can still, you know, field a position in the field, too. Uh, the bat will play, though. That's one of the things that I really like about him. We had him as the top-rated bat on our board. And there were several guys that, um, you know, we paired off our board. We didn't have Spencer Torkelson or uh, or uh, Martin on there. There was a lot of guys that we just didn't even put up there. There was one player that about slid to us as the draft went on, which was Patrick Bailey, and, and he went 21st overall to the Cardinals. Uh, he's somebody that we would have considered had he got to us, but it just didn't happen. And, you know, frankly, I'm very happy with getting Tyler Soderstrom in, in the first round. Um, as I said, he's a very talented kid, very talented um, catcher, and he's somebody that I think will project well, even if he moves off to right field or third base, wherever it is. Um, our next pick was Jordan Walker. Now, Jordan Walker is a very bright kid. Mom and dad are graduates of Harvard and MIT, so he comes from good stock, so to speak. Uh, we'll call that bloodlines, but he's going to be 18 years old on draft day. So he's a, a younger for the class player from Decatur, Georgia, six foot five, 220 pounds. Uh, he's pitched a little bit for his high school, was up to 93 on the mound. But from third base to first base, he was 92 miles an hour, too. So that's a, a strong, I think, above average arm there. He's a right handed hitter. And I would say he's got plus plus power. So when I say plus plus power, this is a guy that could potentially hit 40, 50 doubles and 30 or more home runs. Or let's compare him for, for players' sake, uh, a Fran Mill Reyes, a guy that's probably going to hit like 250, uh, 240, but really impact the ball when he does. And that's something I really thought that, you know, this guy is probably one of the, the most high upside players on the board. And, and he, in fact, was in our conversations at pick 23 when the Indians came up. Uh, he's getting a lot of projections and the average projections out uh, at 34 right now, but he's a guy I could easily see going earlier, earlier in the, into the um, process, uh, if you will. He was somebody that was considered a top 10 pick. So maybe he's this year, Daniel Espino, that slides. Uh, he's a Duke commit. So there's some conversations about Walker that he may end up uh, in, in college because of his salary demands right now or his bonus demands mm-hmm. um i've heard a lot of comparisons to him on chris bryant uh he's gotten jason worth and then cameron maven comparisons i think one of the most interesting things about walker though he's a guy that ran a six five six sixty yard dash now that's a 65 scouting grade and he's six foot five 220 pounds so there's some speed there. I, I don't think that he maintains that kind of speed. I think he's more of a, a 50 or an average grade uh, runner when it all settles down. But there's some conversation, too, that maybe he's got enough uh, athleticism to play corner outfield even, you know. So getting that kind of player with that massive upside, somebody that I think is going to be a real impact bat in the lineup at 36 was um, immensely uh, pleasing for us because – as we said, we had him in conversation at pick 23. We were ready to pop him at pick 23 if uh, if Soderstrom hadn't slid to us. And there were some other guys that we thought could potentially, like uh, a Cole Wilcox, who's a pitcher from Georgia. Uh, he's made some control, uh, made some control uh, gains by cutting down his uh, head whack. So he's not pulling off so hard to first base anymore. In this mock, he went, I think it was 14th or I think it was 15th to the San Francisco Giants, but he's a, a really interesting college arm for this draft class. And and he pitched on the uh, Cape Cod League, I think about eight innings, struck out 10 guys, but he walked six. 
Uh, and that was after he was implementing his mechanical changes. So I, I wonder this year he had a walk rate uh, under one, but it was only four starts. So it's a small sample, but I, I think he's one of the highest upside arms in this draft class. Uh, maximum velocity is way up into the upper nineties, you know? So he's a guy that I, I think has front of the line type of potential. Um, now our, our third pick was a guy who was also a, uh, a Cape Cod performer. He was excellent on the Cape. I think he struck out 30 guys and like 30, 35 guys in 20, 24 innings and then maybe walked seven. Uh, his name is Ian Bedell. He is a pitcher from Missouri and he, he kind of fits the Indians mold, kind of a cold weather guy. He's originally from uh, the state of Illinois and he's been pitching in Missouri uh, for the University of Missouri out of the out of the bullpen and then a little bit as a starter last season, and then this season he was going to be a starter full-time. So he doesn't really have the track record, but he has youth on his side, and he has a, a lot of upside. Um, I have comped him to having uh, Shane Bieber, um, Aaron Savali type of control. He, he gets above average to plus grades for his control. Four-pitch pitcher, throws in the low 90s. He can run it up 94, 95. Has a changeup, a curveball, all of them getting above average grades, and then his uh, cutter gets an average grade too. So I mean, there's a lot to work with there. Nothing, what I would say, is super sexy, but a lot of a lot of quality pieces. And I think you put him in a, a system like the Indians, and they're going to get the most out of an arm like that if if they were to draft him. And he's somebody I would keep an eye on in the second or third round, even. Um, now for the average. Ranking for him was only 96. All of these were pretty consistent, too. None of them really varied, so it wasn't really weighed down. But he's somebody we really liked and felt like would fit the Indians draft profile, especially after what we've done in the first two picks. Um, and, and again, the philosophy on our behalf was to, to, do this, to do this mock draft as if we were picking for the Indians. So it was holding the Indians philosophy and, and weighing in what we think the Indians would do in this situation. So to come back with Bedell right there, we were very pleased. Uh, and in fact, there were several pitchers on the board that we liked at that, at that slot. Um, one of them, Kyle Nicholas, who is a uh, ball state starting pitcher, but he projects well as a reliever just because of the lack of control. Guy gets it up to a hundred miles an hour. And I believe he has four pitches too. Um, He's somebody that went 51st to the Cubs in this mock draft, and he's somebody that fits in that range. Uh, we had him on our board because of the rising value of relievers. We thought, you know, the Indians have a chance to get a, a local kid who can throw 100 miles an hour and could potentially move fast as a reliever. He would probably be on their board in the second round. Fortunately, he didn't make it to us, and, and Bedell was there, and then a couple of other guys that we liked as well. Uh, outfielder Dylan Cruz was somebody that we liked. Um, Alex Santos, a pitcher from the state of New York. So he's a cold weather arm, brings a mid 90s fastball. Alejandro Rosario from Florida. He's a pitcher that reclassified uh, 18.4 years old, throws in the mid to upper 90s. I believe he has a plus curveball, if I remember right. Um, but I don't remember. I don't remember what his secondary pitch was, but I remember when I saw it, it was nasty. Uh, somebody I really liked. And, and those guys uh, went later on to the Giants a, a few picks later. And I talked to the uh, Giants rep, and he said he loved our pick there at uh, 56. He said he was on Bedell just a few picks later if we hadn't took him. So I, I think we got value there, even though the average ranking was a 96. Uh, Baseball America had him at 106. MLB.com had him at 89. And then Fangraphs had him at 94. And we were able to get him at pick. 56 and felt like that would be a guy that the Indians would really like. Um, coming down to our last pick of the night uh, was a prep righty named Hunter Barnhart from California. He is 18.3 years old, uh, high school quarterback. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned Justin that he kind of reminded you of Zach Plesak mm -hmm. uh, because Zach Plesak was a, a high school quarterback. Close to the same frame um, too. You know, yeah, same size. He's he's six two two oh five, but I think 
you know, he kind of looks like he's got a mature frame, but I think he, if you look at him, he could actually put on a little bit more muscle and, and get 210, 215 with ease. Um, him being a little bit more raw because he's spent a lot of time playing both sports. And he's also a recruited player in football too. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's an athlete is what I'm really saying. He's, he's won several awards as a quarterback. So there's a lot of uh, athleticism with him. Um, you know, maybe there's signability issues. I hadn't heard or, or saw anything. He is an Arizona, an Arizona state commit. Um, the fastball gets into the mid nineties, 94, 95 on occasion from my understanding is uh, curve his curveball is a, a plus pitch already. I've seen 65 grades on it. I would just say it's just a plus, which 65 is better than plus. So, hey, if he's that good with the curveball, you know, that that's a guy um, that's going to get a lot of outs with that pitch. Um, as I said, he's athletic. So you get an athletic guy. He's got some inconsistencies, but I think you could say that of any young pitcher, really. Uh, but one of the things that I felt was key for him is that, you know, he is a strike thrower, somebody that's going to be in the zone on the corners and with three pitches, his, uh, his third being a changeup. I don't think I mentioned it. It's getting only uh, fringe average grades, but if you look at it and if you've seen the video, I do, I think there is uh, upside for more from that pitch. And it, as I said, I definitely trust the, the Indians developmental people. If he was actually a realistic pick for them um, to develop an arm like his. So that's why we went with, uh, Hunter Barnhart there, and, and there were several other guys that we liked there, but uh, those guys just didn't really slide to us, you know. And, and you got to go with who's who's on the board, and uh, we were happy with Hunter Barnhart there. There, there was another kid, um, Ryan uh, Haganow from the from the Knoxville area, who was a commit with Kentucky. He's six five, I think two twenty. It's into the mid nineties. Has some good stuff. Um, one of the younger arms in this entire class we considered at this pick, Nick Griffin or Nicholas Griffin from Monticello, Arkansas, uh, who is an Arkansas commit. He's six foot four, 175, very projectable frame, um, low 90s. He sits 90, 92, touches 94 on occasion, and he's he's getting a lot of uh, plus grades on his curveball. That's a guy that I thought that the Indians, Indians would be really in on potentially because he was one of the younger guys and he had one of the simplest deliveries. If you watch him, he just, you know, straight home into the plate and nothing quirky or anything about it. And for him to get a lot of uh, Cliff Lee comps, I think is very highly uh, complimentary of, of the stuff that Hunter or not Hunter, but rather Nick Griffin would bring to a team. Um, but overall, I thought this was a really cool experience. I wished, uh, <laughs> I wished that to my, I wished that my tablet was working and I didn't realize until later on that it was the tablet because I have had issues with this tablet. Um, but in, in the heat of the moment and, and not realizing what's going on, you know, uh, it was a cool opportunity to have represented the Indians and uh, to spend that night uh, making picks as if I was the Indians. Uh, very exciting time. I definitely appreciate your input and I definitely appreciated all that Jared had to say too, because um, he was very helpful, and I appreciate the feedback from somebody who's very knowledgeable in, in the major league draft. Yeah, it worked out really good. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Number one, it was, you know, with not a lot going on sports-wise and not a lot going on, you know, it was a Friday night. And um, if you have, if you haven't really heard the explanation at this point, the guys at Prospects Live got 30 people who were prospect writers, draft writers, um, writer cover writers covering different teams. They ended up getting 30 guys together. And, and I should say girls too, because they had uh, Melissa Lockhart from the athletic make the Athle uh, athletics pick, which was really cool to see her in there yep. doing that. I really like her work and I was glad she was a part of it. There were a lot of big names, a part of this. So they had someone representing all 30 teams to make the picks. Um, and it was, you know, done live on, on YouTube and, and um, Periscope through a chat and then they use what fan tracks just to log the picks. That was cool. Um, yeah. Other than yeah. technical difficulties, not being able to be on screen with uh, the guys from prospects live, everything went really well. And I agree. I think, I think the picks really fell in line with the Indians draft philosophy. I think it was a good draft overall. Um, the, the guy I liked the most was Hunter. I liked Walker. I liked Hunter Barnhart a lot. Um, I, I really wasn't enamored. You guys like Tyler 
side of Strom a lot more than I did. Um, just because I'm, I'm, I'm not really based on what I know about him. And again, you and Jared both know more about the draft than I do, but based on what I've learned about him, I'm a little concerned that the bat doesn't play outside of catcher. Um, I know Dylan Dingler was another guy we considered at 23. You guys considered at 23 to me, Dylan Dingler makes me think of Logan ice a little bit because great defender um, did have a good season in college offensively, but hasn't been great offensively throughout his prep career. Um, Logan ice had one good offensive season at Oregon, Oregon state. And he was a good defender and obviously he's out of baseball now. Um, I think the only thing I was a little unsure of was, you know, going prep bats back to back. I think, um, I guess when you're picking 13 picks later, it, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I don't know if the Indians necessarily would go back to back prep bats. They definitely would, you know, prefer, which I think this is the general philosophy these days is, is go for prep bats and college arms, unless you have a really elite high school arm. Um, so maybe the back to back, prep bats was interesting. I do love Walker. He reminds me a little bit of, of Will Benson um, just because of the size and the the fact that he's a, a power impact guy. And then Duke, Duke, Duke commit. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of similarities there. I thought that was interesting. And of course, they're both from Georgia. So maybe that, maybe that's a lazy comparison. I mean, he's right-handed, but um, that was an interesting pick. I did. I did like Ian Bedell quite a bit too. I think Ian Bedell, fits their profile to a T. He was a, a Cape Cod performer who had really great command, didn't walk anybody, had a great Cape Cod 2019 season. That fits their mold to a T. Um, but like I said, Hunter, Hunter Barnhart to me was my favorite pick of the guy, the four guys you guys picked. Um, there was four rounds in total. Um, if you include the comp rounds, which was a lot of fun, it was 100 picks made um, by different writers. Like you, like you pointed out, Hunter Barnhart's got a, a really good frame. He's a two sport athlete, athletic quarterback. Also has a really high spin curve. People have been touting how, what a high spin rate his curveball has. And the Indians do tend to like those guys as well. So I thought he was a, a match for them as well. So I thought all the picks individually made sense. I thought maybe just the back-to-back prep bats, but my own bias is kind of against Soderstrom. I, I kept pushing you guys and I, I let you guys made the picks. I was just there to kind of learn and, provide whatever assistance I could, but I kept pushing you guys to take uh blaze Jordan, who I think ended up, did he, did blaze Jordan not go drafted in the, in the four round mock? He went 85th to the giants, the giants, uh, hey. Brian, uh, Reka, <laughs> um, one of the, one of the draft writers that I, or draft, uh, folks I follow on Twitter, he drafted for them and, and they had a heck of a they draft. Did. You know, I mentioned a couple of other players that they, they, that they got, but they got Jordan 85th overall. And I think a lot of that was signability questions. Um, a lot of concern about his bat, how it's going to play up against higher velocity pitching. But I also will add in there that he's only 17 and a half. And he's one of the youngest kids in, available, if not the youngest player in the draft. So there's that. And he has some of the highest upside when it comes to power. Uh, sounds like there's a really good chance that he ends up going to Mississippi State and uh, honing his craft at first base or, or third base, wherever he ends up at, because he lost about 20 pounds to make the transition over to third. He and, and some folks felt like uh, some folks felt like him losing the 20 pounds that he sapped a little bit of his strength with that. But he wanted to become more athletic and a little bit quick so he could man the hot corner. Um showing that he was more than just a first baseman because he wanted to raise his draft value. And, and furthermore, he did reclassify, and that's part of one of the reasons that he was one of the youngest players available. Which also fits the Indians' profile, too. I know like he's tied to first base. He's not going to play third. And um, the bat's got to play and make it work. But, man, I love that kid's bat speed. I love the swing. I think he's going to be an impact hitter. Um, maybe there was signability issues. You're right. I think, I definitely think where he went, he went 85 to the giants in the mock. I definitely think that, um, um, he's not going to sign there. I would be surprised if he went somewhere in that area, if he signed. So that definitely, I think is true. Yeah. I, I think at this point he, he's probably going in the comp round to second round if he's, drafted that high and if he's not drafted that high it's not because of talent it's because of signability issues right um and, and you know there will be some other things that we get into about the draft here in just a few minutes that 
you know, may explain more, but uh, I, I do think teams are going to be more cautious and careful this year. I'll put it that way. Um, but overall with this mock draft, I thought it was really cool that they, that they did that. Uh, it took some time to play out and get everybody on board and um, get all the riders lined up that they did. They got some high quality people who know their stuff. Um, going back to the two prep bats first, I'll be honest with you. I wanted to pop a, a pitcher, but I wasn't going to go off of the board. We stayed true to the board and felt like that's what the Indians would do is stay true to the board instead of uh, forcing a fit or drafting somebody that we felt was a, a lower, uh, a lower talent for that pick. Yeah. Um, when we, when we came up each time, we felt like this was the best player on the board. And I'll even say that with two back-to-back pitchers, it wasn't intentional. It was at, at pick. Yeah. At, at pick 56, we had Kyle Nichols, Ian Bedell, Alex Santos, Alejandro Rosario. That was our top four guys on the board. And then uh, Kyle Nichols went off the board a few guys before that. And then Bedell came to us. And, and when he was there, he was the pick. You know, we, we talked through Santos, Rosario. And, and then we said, you know, we felt like Bedell would be the guy that they would go with there. You know, um, back to the two prep bats, you, you get Walker and you get Soderstrom in, in this type of draft. Um, very excited to get two guys that were ranked above the picks, too. Um as I said, we considered both of these guys uh, at at 23, Soderstrom being the higher of the two. But definitely feel that if I had to lay it on the line and say who has the highest upside of all of these players, I'm putting my my money on uh, Jordan Walker there. I love the bat. I love the potential. Some people say he's got a fringe bat. Um, he performed when it mattered. He performed against high competition. He hit well. He hit for power. Um you know, and he's a guy you see on the diamond with a smile on his face. He's joking around, he's enjoying himself, but he's also smart and a hard worker, you know, coming from good, good stock with parents who are uh, Harvard and MIT grad and him being a Duke commit himself shows you he's a pretty intelligent kid. So, you know, I, I think there's a, a huge upside there. Uh, so we were very pleased to, to have been able to make him at, or, or to make the selection with him at, at 36. Um, I said I wanted a couple of pitchers. You know, there was guys like Bobby Miller that we liked, uh, Chris McMahon that I really, really like. Um, he's got above average control. Um, Slade Ciccone is another pitcher from the University of Miami that was on our boards. Um, Tanner Bo- Burns, <laughs> the right-hand pitcher from Auburn, who's rather boring in my opinion. And, you know, he's a bulldog of a pitcher. He throws – mid low mid 90s and can run it up to 97 Cameron, he's just performed. what about cameron modzinski I, I still can't pronounce it oh yeah modzinski from south carolina he he fell into the, the 40s in in the draft in this mock to the uh, chicago white Sox. i was a little surprised by that um dylan dingler you mentioned yeah. earlier we we discussed he was on the board at 23 he fell all the way to 50 in this mock draft to the texas rangers so it tells me some of these other folks who are uh, very well-educated draft people mm-hmm. kind of look at, at Dingler with some uh, concerns and questions. I love the tools. Um, I, I love the athleticism. I love the arm. He's an average, above-average runner. I think he could play outfield still. I uh, do have concerns with the bat. But I will point out last year he had a hammock injury, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's going to sap your power. Yeah. So he, he's not going to be able to drive the ball. And with what he shows behind the plate, having a, having a plus arm, strong arm, the speed, the work that he puts in, he's got a, a, a heck of an arm. Um, Jared sent me some video of him, I think it was yesterday, making throws to second. And he's just an impressive catcher too. Um, so the there's more than just the, the tools there. There's the ability to transfer the tools to the diamond. And, um, you know, if somebody gets him there, I think they're going to be really pleased. He may not be the highest average hitter, but I think there's going to be some some pop, more pop than what people realize. He's got a really good frame, six foot three, two twenty, and to me, he doesn't look that big, but uh, he's just a strong, uh, athletic kid. Um, somebody, I can't remember who the writer was, but they, oh, it was somebody on Twitter called him a generational athlete saying that essentially that he's a rare breed of an athletic talent. Wow. Um, I do, I do know some of the folks that I talk to on Twitter who are, who are uh, 
I'll, I'll say a lot deeper involved than I am, a lot more connected are saying that there is some conversation that Dylan Dingler could go in the back half of the top 10 picks. Um, and one of them says in particular that he could go 12th overall to the Cincinnati Reds. Now, if something like that were to play out, um, I would be assuming that they're trying to get an underslot deal so they can get some other guys later on in, in the draft. And, um, you know, we'll get into it in a minute, but it, it depends on the length of the draft. Draft if that's even a scenario that a team will be willing to explore at this point. Yeah, it, the length of the draft does really, I think, affect how people do view the draft. Um, if you want to go back and, and read any of this stuff, so you have a recap of the mock draft, which, again, was May 1st, um, was a total of three rounds, including, what, three comp rounds, I think, total? So it ended up being six rounds, technically, if you include the three comp rounds. Um, the Indians had four picks in the first 100, so Willie and Jared made the first four of the 100 picks based on the Indians' philosophy. Um, so you did a whole recap on each of those guys. The uh, recap is up on the site as well. Um, so go check out all the draft content. Part one of your big board is free for all to read. Part two and three are up there too. Um, and we're going to have parts four and a couple more as well. Um, the reason we say it affects um, – oh, before we move on, I also want to say thanks to Prospects Live for – um, doing that, that was a lot of fun. I think you can go on their YouTube channel. I think you can watch this all over again. You won't see Willie on there because he had technical difficulties, but um, you can see all 100 picks on there. Um, they did talk about the four guys they selected. Were, so They were gracious enough to break down the picks for yeah. me. Uh, so I did appreciate them doing that. I uh, may have an opportunity to do a little bit more with them in the future. It uh, sounds like that they want to make this an annual thing. And um, hopefully we're able to tie into that again in the future. And uh, I will definitely make sure I'm not using this tablet uh, for that. Either, either um, way not. But it, it was a cool experience. I'm very thankful to uh, to Ralph and, and to Matt and to Eddie and all the guys at Prospects Live who made it happen. Uh, very cool experience. And, and thank you, Justin, and also to Jared, too, uh, for – chipping in his two cents. I appreciated what he had to say and I appreciated having somebody to bounce things off of. Yeah. It made, it made for a fun time for us and it was just a good event. If you're an MLB draft fan, definitely follow the guys from prospects live and check out the video on YouTube. because so I'm pretty sure they have the whole um, draft, draft have, on their YouTube yes. channel. So you can get that as well. Um, yeah. So the reason we said um, the changes to draft a little bit is because it sounds like, it's going to be five rounds. It may be 10, but I think they're still leading closer to, to a five round draft, which also includes the comp rounds. We're talking, you know, one comp two comp and then three through five. Um, I think that's bogus. I think, I mean, even 10 rounds to me kind of bites. I think they could have gone 20, um, but I think at least they should be going 10. So we'll get an idea of what's going to happen in the next week or so. But man, the MLB, the NFL draft had some of the highest ratings ever. And baseball was set up for this, if you ask me, because the only time they've ever had the draft is not, was round one on TV. When they started doing that, when they had launched MLB Network, they started doing the draft on TV. That was the first time. Um, but day two and three of the draft has always been on a conference call. It's never been on. I think day two, you can. No, I'm pretty sure day two, there's no TV. So. Um, day two they start out on TV they'll go through uh, the first couple of picks and then after about the I think whatever it is the second round or third round whatever they'll do a little bit of coverage a little bit of recap best guys available type of talk and then they'll do one round of that and then go into the conference call from there and really the, it's a conference call and they just have a couple of guys sitting in the studio trying to generate a little interest um, to me I've been uh, slightly critical calling this a huge missed opportunity by man, uh, Manfred and, and all of the uh, major league owners. I think this is very short and narrow-sided on their behalf. To me, this is about future sales. What I mean by that is you generate interest now for the future. Um, you you put a lot of advertisement on there. You sell all that you can, get all this advertisement on there. You, you pump out jerseys and hats and stuff and say, hey, you know, we're going to cut 25% off of this still making profit on it or, you know, a, a great opportunity to 
hold the nation captive with baseball. And that would be a uh, unusual circumstance. Um, NFL ratings were massive for the NFL draft. And on the Friday night, the first night of the draft, they had 16 million viewers. On Saturday, 8 million. 24 million viewers in two days. And this was a three-day event. I, ne I never did hear the numbers for Sunday. I'm sure they were reduced from that. Um, and, and another thing to factor in, these numbers don't include streaming devices, such as an iPhone mm -hmm. or a tablet. Um, you know, so these numbers are massive beyond the 24 million for the just the first two days. So let's just say they had maybe almost 30 million people view this draft. Major League Baseball had this set up for them on a tee to promote the game, promote future sales. Promote the draft. Generate Never. interest. No. And, you know, they could, have, they could have generated a ton of interest. Get, get some of the most marketable guys on there and, and do video calls with them. Get a lot of these draft picks on there and do video calls with them. Generate interest that that trickles down into the minor league system too. Hey, I want to go see the Indians' first round pick, whoever it is, Daniel Espino. Well, he's going to be in Mahoning Valley next year. You, you know that kind of approach, and you know generate the fan uh, interest that way. As I said, with sales, put jerseys out there and stuff. You know, put uh, hats and stuff on sale. But uh, a, a lot of even the you know Major League Baseball games advertise those. This, this was an opportunity. I feel like Major League Baseball has swung and missed, and they had the ball on a tee. Yep, they never and they never promote the draft very well anyway because it's always an MLB network, and I think you can watch it on MLB.com. That's about it. But you know a lot of people don't have the MLB network, um, and I get they're not going to have a. It's gonna, they're going to have a hard time trying to find a. Uh, someone to carry the MLB draft on network TV and that's fine. Um, but they just didn't really explore every Avenue to promote it as best they could. And, you know, I get normally at 40 rounds, it's a very deep draft and a lot of people aren't going to have that, that, um, attention span. That's fine. I mean, I listen to almost every pick if I can when it gets to the later rounds, but at, at potentially 10 rounds, you have plenty of people who will pay attention at that point. Um, like you said, leverage digital advertising, leverage um, social, you know, you're doing all these different things. You have all these different ways. And and because at, on June 10th or June 12th, whatever day it's going to be, we don't know what day the draft's going to be yet, but they're close on a date. Um, you know, there's really not going to be any sports like baseball. Might, probably won't, yeah. Baseball won't be playing at that point. Obviously we know that much. Um as the racetrack comes to my living, my bedroom again, my home studio. Um, probably not going to, if, if baseball is not playing in June on TV normally, then I would be surprised to find if basketball and the NHL are playing. So you're still not going to have any real live sports on TV. And, and if so, maybe limited. Uh, this is why the NFL drafted so well, because there was nothing on TV for live sports. This was the first real live sporting event. You know, if it wasn't a sport live, it was a sporting related and, event for the first time since um, middle of March. So you have this. And that's where you get your star players on there and show plenty of highlights and you interview them and you generate interest that way, you know, and then, then you promote it with the, as I said, the digital sales, put jerseys on there, Aaron judge, you know, Francisco Lindor, Mike Trout, Sell the merchandise that, that you want to sell. You'll make money that way. Um, also, expand the draft from just Major League Baseball Network. Go to ESPN or let ESPN come to you. I'm sure they would because they just went to KBO. You know, right. I mean, they've been playing WrestleMania reruns on Sundays. I think ESPN would like to cover some baseball. At least ESPN if it too. Was available. Mostly, if you have a cable package, you at least have ESPN too. If you're not going to be network. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, and, and I think you know, ESPN is looking for for uh, something to cover right now because there's not live sports. They're playing reruns of the World's Strongest Man. I love watching that, but not everybody does, you know. Also, this they have Kylie McDaniel, who was formerly a FanCrafts, now he works for ESPN. Kylie McDaniel has worked for an MLB front office, and he knows the draft very well. They don't have Keith Law anymore, but Kylie McDaniel knows the draft maybe even better because he was recently in, a, in the front office not long ago 
And I think Fangraphs is probably one of the best sites out there covering the draft. And um, I think he knows it better than Keith Law because he's traveled more. Keith Law has not – we were talking about him in the last podcast. I like Keith Law, but I think he doesn't travel as much to see high school and college games as much as Kylie does because – Keith Law, I know Keith Law has a, a kid and I know he's got a, you know, family life and I know not that Kylie doesn't, I know he's got a, a new house and a fiance or something and a dog, but he's been, he's seen it more recently. Like Kylie McDaniel knows the freaking draft. He knows these guys. So you'd have a guy on there on ESPN. They don't have to pay, you know, somebody like, I think, um, who is it came over from the NFL network? One of the, there was NFL network guys that came over on ESPN and several of them and had to provide some of the coverage. I don't know who paid for that, but uh, you know, you're detracting away from ESPN guys with NFL network guys. I'm sure ESPN wasn't happy about that. You have Kylie McDaniel who knows these guys. You don't need to, to bring somebody outside the fold to do this. This guy knows what he's talking about. They had the resources to do this. ESPN doesn't really cover baseball that well, but like you said, I think, uh, it's it's a giant missed opportunity, absolutely, one hundred percent. I don't think there's any way around it. You're going to see more players. You know, I don't know. I suppose if there's a, it's a five round draft, I feel like if you go in the top five rounds, you almost have to sign, right? Like if it's five, if you're drafted in the fifth round and you're a high school kid, unless you're, I don't know. I almost feel like you have to sign at that point. I feel like you can't go to college. So. <clears throat> so the rumors are the, the rumors are right now um rosenthal put in an article last week that the draft is still going to be held um june 10th to the 12th i doubt it's all three days if it's if it's only five rounds the rumors appear to be circulating that it will only be five rounds um we should know possibly tomorrow which is friday today's thursday uh as we record this um you know, for the Indians, they lose five picks. They lose a million dollars in bonus pool. They'll have six picks and seven, seven and a half million dollars to sign those six picks with. And a lot of that's because you have two early picks that are going to uh, require quite a bit of money. So when, when you break down this draft, I think it's going to be, if it's just five rounds, 167 selections. Um, the Indians will have six of those. And... If you look at it, I think maybe only the top 40 or 50 prep players even sign. And what it does is it sends more guys to school. Yeah. And, you know, the JUCOs, the guys that want to come back into the draft next year, the JUCO schools are going to benefit. But you're you're probably sending back some college juniors, too. That would be your what I would call a middle-tier type, the guys that sign in the rounds 6 through 10 that would receive a bonus of about $250,000. These guys are, are usually your utility type players in, the, in MLB. They're relievers. They're, they're guys that do pan out. There's a lot of quality talent. You know, I've outlined some of them that, that were uh, selected after the 10th round. James Grinchak was selected in the ninth round. Um, you know, uh, Samad Taylor, who was traded for Joe Smith, he was selected in, in the 10th round. Uh, let me see. Ryder Ryan was traded to the, to the Mets. Yeah, and he was he was a, a 30th round selection. Cody Allen, I think, was a 23rd round draft mm-hmm. pick. So Kyle Nelson, one of the Indians' um, prospects, he was a 14th round draft pick. You know, the, the, so there's there's value in these guys who are going to end up going back to school, or or what's going to happen is they're going to go undrafted, and then they're going to be offered $20,000 to, to sign. And that's the maximum that they're allowing teams to sign undrafted players for. Now, nothing's finalized yet. This could still be 10 rounds, but as you said earlier, I feel like they could have done 20 rounds this year. They have an agreement in place next year that the draft will be no shorter than 20 rounds. And then you enter the CBA year, which is 2022 and who knows I would expect that the, that the draft is probably 20 rounds from now on. Um, it, it makes sense, you know, to, to reduce it down. Um, obviously with a reduced number of players, you're going to have less minor leaguers, which it makes it easier to follow through with major league baseball's plan of reducing minor league teams. Yeah. 
I've already said this and I'll say it again. I think, I think unfortunately we've seen the last game played by the Mahoning Valley Scrappers and I don't know what's going to happen between the captains and the Lynchburg Hillcats. My guess is my, my pure speculation is that Columbus Akron are both going to continue on obviously. And then you'll have one of Lynchburg or Lake County, and then you'll have the complex leagues. That's going to be it. And I agree. That's, that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to use the next two drafts cutting from 40 to 10 or five to 40 to 20. And, uh, going to reduce the amount of players in the minors. I know I, so I read, I, read Major League I did hear it real quick. I did hear something the other day and I forget. I think it was on the baseball tonight podcast. So the idea is that if, if these towns lose minor league teams, there's some sort of agreement that they're supposed to have some kind of baseball, whether it's like a quasi amateur not quite pro like i guess it would be independent but not entirely independent because it would be funded by major league baseball it would almost be like a a a hold league kind of like not quite independent but not quite amateur i have no idea how they're going to make that work um but it was so these 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 towns that have stadiums like mahoning valley or in the appalachians um, they have stadiums just sitting there. They're not going unused that they're having some sort of organized baseball played there by potential pro players, I guess. So I think you and I probably read the, the same article and my takeaway from it was that they would uh, basically expand uh, the Eastern league, so to speak. Um, the, or the, was it the Eastern Atlantic League or the Atlantic League, whatever it is. I, I forget the name of it now. But um, with teams like the uh, Sugarland Skeeters that play in, in the independent Saints, ball. Yeah. Um, teams like that that would be absorbed in, in and actually added into minor league, the minor leagues. Um, you know, the Indians will still have probably four minor league teams and then your complex league teams as well. So those will still remain. But they're going to potentially lose a rookie level uh, low low A team like uh, Mahoning Valley, which I hate to see because I love the Scrappers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it sounds like with this setup is there's going to be essentially an independent Atlantic League type of setup, but also a college level league where uh, players would play similar to Cape Cod or the Northwoods leagues. Um, sounds like they're going to implement that and. and add some of those in and major league baseball would fund that according to, to the reports that we've seen. Yeah. So there's a lot of change going to happen. It's, it's being forced in some, some of this by virtue of all that's gone on with the uh, coronavirus. It's unfortunate, the timing for minor league baseball. I love minor league baseball. I think this is the wrong direction to pare down teams. I think minor league baseball generates interest and it's a it's an upward flow, so to speak. I think it's organic. You get people uh, into the games, get them to fall in love with baseball, and they will follow the major league players, or they will follow the players as they uh, ascend toward the major leagues. And, and to me, that's where major league baseball is getting this wrong, along with a lot of other things, but uh, paying minor leaguers and stuff. But it seems to be the the minor leaguers seem to be the the fall guy. And and it's unfortunate for these minor league teams in these cities for that matter. Mahoning Valley doesn't need the loss of the scrappers. There's a lot of good people that work for the scrappers who need these jobs. And I, uh, I hate to think of the economic impact for those folks who are going to be affected. And it's not just Mahoning Valley. You're talking about 40 cities that will be Mm -hmm. affected. And And it doesn't just affect the scrappers. It affects the vendors and the, and the places that are close where people would stop and get, uh, drinks before a game or get something to eat. Uh, you know, it's going to affect a lot of different things. It's going to affect local economies. And, and that's the thing that really bothers me is these communities, no community needs it, but these communities don't need it right now. They're, mm-hmm. It's a, a slap in the face and an insult to these towns and to the good folks that help baseball live uh, in these communities. Yeah. I mean, they're only going to be hurt anyway by the, the virus impact. And then you have this on top of it for sure. And then also to add on, you know, how many local businesses advertise on the wall or on the radio um, for, you know, Mahoney Valley, these, these minor league teams, you know, 
on their outfield walls that had advertisements or promotions. How much business did they lose by by leveraging advertisement there or being a sponsor? You know, I, I don't know how much <clears throat> you can't really measure the direct impact, but you know, I guess that potentially they they stand to lose money by not being able to advertise somewhere where they have an audience. Um, so there's the, there's kind of your indirect effect as well, and also the future of the game. You just don't have you don't have the Francisco Lindors coming through Mahoning Valley or whatnot where you can get a chance to see them before their stars or get a chance to go out there and then have that connection to the Indians because you saw Cody Allen play in Mahoning Valley. And now you want to see him play in Cleveland because he's one of those guys that made it all the way through, you know, you lose that. We've talked about that before you lose that connection. I think that's, that's one of the worst effects you can have on the game. So but yeah. you know, like we said, this is this is what Matt Rob Manford wanted all along. Maybe some of the teams wanted. I know there are teams that definitely did want to reduce teams, minor league teams out there to pay less players. Of course, they can argue, well, we can pay minor leaguers more because we have less players in the system. So that's their way of keeping the the their foot on the throat of these kids is we'll pay you more, but we're going to cut more of you. You know, that's, that's corporate America in, in, in 2020, you know, we'll pay you more, but guess what? A bunch of your coworkers are, uh, are getting the pink slip, you know? So what did you fight for? Don't do that again. You know, that's, you, you wish for more money. Well, guess what? Some of you will get that money and some of you'll be out of a job. So you won't do that again. Will you, you, you learn your lesson. That's kind of how I look at it. They're like, I said, they're keeping their foot on the throat of these kids and it sucks. And I don't, I don't see any good coming out of it. I just don't. It's hard for me to see. I mean, I know, I know some kids will get more money. You won't see kids in Lake County making 11,000 a year anymore. They might make 20,000, which isn't much better, but I guess it's something. And then it'll be uh, Hey, we did something. It'll be, we we're paying them more, you know, oh, I can't do it anymore. I can't, there's too much negative. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm looking forward to draft. Uh, we started out. We started out this podcast on a really positive note because I enjoyed the prospects live draft. But now we're ending on a, a sour note. I need something positive. So let's. Uh, any final thoughts? Well, I'll I'll go back to the draft for the minute for a minute. You know, um, even if it is five rounds, the Indians do have six picks in this draft, and this is one of the the most talented drafts in in several years. I think. Um, no slight toward any of the kids that have been in the other drafts, but there's just a ton of pitching available. Uh, you know, the Indians are going to have to make some changes with only six, with only potentially six picks from this draft entering into the system. Uh, you know, you have the July 2nd period coming up quickly. Out of the 18 players they have uh, agreements with, only three are pitchers. And the Indians have gone pretty heavy in the draft, in the, in the latter half of the draft, with the arms. And here recently they have gone with some high upside prep guys early, you know, Justice Sheffield, Juan Hillman, Tristan McKenzie, Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins, Lenny Therese Jr., you know, just to name a few. That's a, a lot of high draft picks who are uh, prep arms. And, you know, you may see the Indians go uh, another route this year. There's a ton of college pitching available. Guys like Bobby Miller that I like, Chris McMahon, uh, Cole Wilcox could slide to them. Um you know, a guy like Cole Henry that could be there at pick 36, uh, a prep arm like Carson Montgomery, one of the um, high high upside guys like Jared Kelly, uh, Mick Abel, Nick Bitsko. Um, you know, maybe they go another way and go with a smaller prep arm like Mason Wynn, who hits 98. Um, Justin Lang, the, the uh, Texas kid that was throwing 102 over the weekend. He's got some uh, mechanical um, stuff that he needs to clean up, but that's a really interesting arm that he's not even 19 years old and he's already thrown over a hundred, you know? So, uh, there's a lot of talent to look forward to in this draft. Uh, I would definitely encourage everyone to check out the pieces I've written up on them. I will be adding more and, uh, I will be updating what is on there as well as we get closer to the draft and look for our mock draft coming out this coming uh, this coming week, Jared and I are working on it right now as we speak. Um, I'm not going to disclose who the first pick is, but it may be no surprise <laughs> to anyone. And Jared and I are going to be rotating. I, 
I was fortunate and I got the first pick in the draft. Well, maybe that's not fortunate if you're picking high. It's not usually a good thing, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I like the player out. I picked at first overall, and I would encourage everyone to check out the mock draft as we approach the draft. We will have more coverage coming out. Uh, Jared's going to hop in and write in, write up some pieces as well, and we're going to do a few mocks as we lead into the draft. And there'll be a lot of draft coverage, so there is something to talk about with baseball. I love the draft, and I know just a little <laughs> bit about it. So, uh, as I said, check out the stuff, and um, I look forward to deep diving and appreciate everyone's feedback and, and everyone's views too. Yeah, make sure you go check that out again. If you missed the last podcast or you forgot from the first half of this one. Um, we're going to have multiple big boards where you go through and, and just go through a bunch of players, put them in order and, and kind of give a quick overlook of each of these players. Uh, part one is open for everybody to read. It's a little free preview to see what you're getting. Um, parts two, three, and then four upcoming are all going to be insider only insider only accounts are only four ninety nine a month. I know everyone's scaling back on their uh, spending and, and whatnot, you know, myself included. Um, but, if you're interested in the MLB draft, if you're interested in the minor league system for the Indians, uh, it is only $4.99 a month. It's month to month where we can do, we're looking at other long-term um, options that are more economical or to save you some money in the long run. Um, and, you know, we're still putting content out. We're not just, you know, letting you sign up and waiting for the minor league season to start. Um, you can go back and you can read all of the top 50 prospect profiles that you and I wrote from this year, uh, the Indians top 50 list. You can read all the draft content. You can read the cutting room floor, which is going on right now, which is 10 guys that just missed our top 50 um, that we talk about what they need to do to reach the top 50 and, and they're standing in the organization. We have diamonds in the rough that comes after that, which highlights more under, under discussed Indians prospects that, you know, are interesting names, but maybe aren't quite ready or don't quite have the tools to make the top 50. Um, we'll have that. We're going to have some interviews with um, potential 2020 draft picks. Um, I already got one out of the way, Howard or Harold Cole, who I talked, we talked about in the last podcast. Um, that should be up on the site. You can read that. And, uh, you know, more draft content to come. We're going to cover the draft. We're going to cover the July 2nd signing period. The message boards are up. You can get on there. You can log in. You can create a free account for IBI, a fan account, and use the message boards. You don't need to be an insider for that, but, you know, we can – you can use it that way as well. So check all that stuff out. And, and I'll add in there, mm -hmm. Justin, I'll add in there, Justin, that anyone who wants to engage on the message boards, I'll be happy to, to uh, talk with them. They just put a message in and I will respond to anyone I see that's specifically mm -hmm. talking to me. Um, I'll, I'll do that as soon as I can. I, I do have <laughs> a pretty busy life working full time and, and a, a large family. Um, but my wife and my family is gracious enough to, to let me slide away for an hour or two to do these podcasts and to write to, you know, um, because I'm passionate about baseball. I love the tribe. I love the minor leagues and I love the MLB draft. So uh, as I said, hop, feel free to hop on the discussion boards. I will reply to anyone who has, has something to say, or they want to talk, uh, talk Indians baseball. They want to talk draft. They want to talk about the July 2nd class, whatever it is. I'll be happy to engage with folks as quickly as I can. Uh, if it's just a question, I will try to answer it to the best of my ability. Um, but I would encourage folks to check that out. Let's drive some discussion. Let's talk about something else because I get talk I get tired of talking about the news and the yeah, weather. Even the weather's gotten better finally. Um, I'll pop in there more. I, I, I was not really active on the <laughs> message boards on the old site, but um, going through and building on the way we have, I'm going to try to be a little more active too and promote some of the things we're writing um, and reach out to people as well. So. Yeah, sign up, keep reading. If you have any questions, you know, feel free to, to respond to the message boards. You can go to the contact page. You can tweet at me at jail underscore baseball. You can um, tweet at Willie at W-I-L-L-H-O. I'm going to forget it. What the heck? Oh, it's it's at W-I-L-L-H-O. -O yeah, so you can, you can get Willie on there. You can tweet at the uh, official site account at official underscore I-B-I. All the other good podcast stuff. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast. We can show up higher on iTunes and Google and Anchor. <clears throat> you can do all that too. So uh, 
this has been good. And I don't know what news we'll have to talk about next, but surely within another week or so, you and I will probably do this again because I think we're going to have some semblance of what 2020 baseball is going to look like. So we'll probably have to get together again and talk about that as well. Absolutely. There'll there'll be draft coverage to talk about uh, as rumors and stuff fly. Uh, We'll know more certainly whether it's five rounds, 10 rounds the next time we talk. We will know or we should potentially know what Major League Baseball is planning uh, as far as uh, spring training 2.0 goes. So there is plenty to talk about and uh, encourage everyone to check out the stuff we have up at the site. And as I said, engage those discussion boards. I'd love to talk with some of you. Check those out. Check out the site. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you again real soon. Stay safe.